Hello and welcome. My name's Nick Kingsbury. I'm a partner at Amadeus Capital Partners and part of the early stage activities focusing on those deep tech businesses. And today I'm bringing you the very first episode of Amadeus and Friends, the podcast. In this series, we're going to be taking a deep dive into deep tech and bring you insights from founders of businesses that we've backed, but also others in this fascinating ecosystem. You'll hear from some fantastic innovators, whether it's in quantum computing, artificial intelligence, machine learning, medtech, and many, many more. The plan is that these individuals will share their insights and how they've built these fantastic businesses. Today, I'm here with Simon Randall, who is the CEO and co-founder of Pimlock, who are a leader in computer vision. I'm going to let him explain a bit more in a moment about what they do and who their customers are. And I've got loads of questions for Simon, You know, one of which will be, how does a small company in London think it can compete with some of the tech giants from Silicon Valley and Seattle? Um, but we'll come to that in a moment. Before we dive in, I'll let uh, Simon introduce himself and his company. Thank you, Nick. Um, and I'll come back to a question about competition shortly. Um, but my name's Simon Randall. I'm CEO and one of the co-founders at Pimlock. We're a video privacy and security business. So we help public and private organizations manage personal data and video at scale for a range of applications, which I can go into. Great stuff. And just start off by telling me a little bit about those applications before I ask, ask the, the, some more difficult questions. <laughs> so we basically provide solutions into two core areas. We help compliance and privacy managers responsibly manage personal data and video. So for a freedom of information request or a data subject access request under GDPR, there are a range of legal policies around the world which mandate the requirement to anonymize discrete clips of video. And what do you mean by anonymize? So if there, if you are running a bus network or a retailer, yeah. and a, an incident happens in store, and there may be a multitude of reasons why you need to get the video from that incident and send it to an insurer, yeah. maybe the individuals themselves, maybe some lawyers, maybe even law enforcement, actually. Um, and it's completely okay to share the content that contains the individual who's raised the question of the incident. But actually, other hundreds of people in the general public are in that video need effectively blurring out of the content before it's shared. Um, and that, whilst it sounds like a very simple task, actually, if you think about the complexity of places and domains where cameras are placed, yeah. It can be a very difficult exercise to do manually. And so we provide a, you know, a core product and service to help people do that job. And then on the second side, we have another application where we allow companies to live anonymize all their video feeds so that they can then run them through automatic analytics packages. And so if you run a very large warehouse with thousands of people in it, you care very much about who's in there, what they're doing, how they're moving around, whether they're working too long without taking breaks, how they're bending, et cetera. Well, we provide a solution that allows you to take existing security footage to remove the personal data so that you can then use it legally um, and responsibly in a range of markets so that you can get the valuable data out the back of it. So the end product is what we see on the news often is that you see, see the, per the subject of a piece of film is there crystal clear, but everybody else is blurred and I guess if it's a a two a one minute clip in the news, it's not difficult. Presumably, somebody goes through it frame by frame, and uh, that it's without your system, they go through it frame by frame, and or and, and with a, some sort of blurring paintbrush. <laughs> 
that right? That's exactly right. And so we are now picking up um, a range of customers in the TV and video production space, actually. Oh, right. Um, and so what has historically been a job for a human with some, you know, slightly traditional video editing software yep. where you draw a box and it might get tracked a bit and they'll draw another box and they'll effectively be able to manually anonymize um, personal data out of frames of video. And as you say, if it's if it's a 20-second clip and it's got two individuals in it and their faces are very large, it's quite Instagram-y, it's quite easy to do that, actually. Yeah. Um, but if you have you know 10 minutes of footage from a train station with 300 people, um, where there's three different camera angles and the people are somewhere between five to 100 meters away, actually, it's kind of impossible to do that manually. Yeah. Um, and also, it's really tricky to do that automatically. And so to your question earlier about how do we compete, actually, there's a bunch of ways we compete, one of which actually surprisingly may, may be surprising, which is actually on the technology side. Um, right. And we've had such a laser-guided focus on becoming the best people in the world at detecting and tracking individuals in a diverse range of CCTV, body-worn and dash cam footage, that we now have something that works well enough for real applications. Right, right. I'm having, I've got this picture of a game of Where's Wally on the train station. <laughs> so are you saying um, that, for example, on the train station, there could be a subject of interest um, and that person can roam all over the, the, the platform and everybody else roams all over the place and you'll track them all and then figure out where, I say, where, where's Wally <laughs> and leave him in, in nice high res where everyone else gets blurred out. Is that what it, can, can you actually do that? We can, so firstly, yes, we can do that. But the, the actual use cases we have for the train station platform, we have one around just the just the, the default anonymization of all the feeds. Right. So there is there is value in a range of people within the transport organization and also the general public actually being able to get a view of what the train station yeah. platform's looking like. The operations guys can plan resourcing and staff. They can check whether people are going to dangerous areas. They can rearrange the way the platform is laid out. They can right. also help with scheduling. So that's where you sort of blur everybody. And so in that case, you know, there's an automatic default blurring of all the data right. from all the feeds. Yeah. Um, the other use case is the one you point out around incidents. So if somebody jumps in front of a train or there's a mugging or just something happens on the platform, someone or someone around them may raise a request for that data. Yeah. And in that instance, we provide a solution that allows those companies to extract the right bits of video and then to selectively anonymize those, uh, right. i.e., please anonymize all 200 people except for Wally. except for Wally, who um, you know the individual compliance manager yep. is well within their rights to go in and manage. Right, um, and so yeah, so that's basically the the system we provide. Right, right. How has the market changed, or has it changed over the last few years? And what's what what are the drivers for for people wanting to come to you for this sort of solution? There's there's two core drivers which are underpinned by an ongoing growth in just the general rollout of cameras. And so, you know, so underlying both of the drivers actually is just this colossal push for more CCTV cameras, yep. more dash cameras, more body-worn cameras, more video footage from drones, more footage from smartphones. Cameras are appearing everywhere and they're going into all our bits of tech. Yeah. And so, you know, if you think about the number of cameras on a bus, number of cameras now on a car, number of cameras in workplaces, biometric identification systems, just the sheer scale of video right. being captured for a bunch of different reasons is growing logarithmically in most markets. Yeah. Um, and then if you layer on top of that, we're seeing a, a kind of an explosion in 
regulation and policy yeah. around how private and public organizations need to legally collect, process, store, and manage that data. Uh, and so we've got GDPR in Europe. In, in Europe, we have GDPR in the UK. There's also five or six other bits of legislation which specifically govern how private and public organisations need to manage that data when it's legal, how they do it. And that data is not just uh, my uh, social security number and that sort of thing. It's it's my face as I walk down the street. Yeah. So so interestingly, at the very beginning of these policies, everyone was focused very much on you know transactional data. Yes. Uh, text and numbers yeah. and everybody's now working their way down to actually we're now storing a huge amount of video so you take the banks for example we're now storing th- hundreds of thousands of hours of sensitive video calls with customers mm-hmm. is it okay for us to share those can we access them what do we do with them there's lots of health companies from the pandemic who are now streaming hundreds of thousands of hours worth of video from hospitals doctors surgeries yeah. conversations and and again Where's it stored yeah. and who's got access to it? And what's is it okay to resell that data to a pharmaceutical company? What what kind of processes do you need to go through to manage right. that? Because right. I guess if it's just archived, then there's not a problem. It's it's the sharing piece that where the problem comes in. Is that right? Well, actually, once it's captured, you're then creating a bunch of risks for storage. Even if it's just archived. Because then there's the risk of it being breached right. um, through cyber attack or being lost. There's also the, the options for misuse or abuse of the data yes. as well. And so, you know, once it's actually captured, you're creating a very large risk within the business. Right. Um, and certainly GDPR and other policies are now applying financial liabilities to those risks yeah. and they're being governed. And so, you know, the, the idea of data privacy as a as a, as of a financial risk to the business yep. has now reached the boardroom in most organizations. Yeah. Um, the other side is it's also spreading around the world. And so since GDPR was launched in 2018, we're now seeing fairly similar legislation spreading to all corners of the globe, actually. How much of the U.S. is covered now? I know California has yeah, so there's, on this sort of stuff, but how much of the U.S.? So again, the, the U.S. is a slightly more complicated beast than Europe because we have state and federal legislation. There are GDPR-esque policies in six of the U.S. states currently. Right. There's a bunch more in progress at the moment. There's also a new federal data privacy bill, so-called Three Corners Bill, working its way through Congress at the moment. Right. They're hoping to get that done before the summer recess, but um, we shall see. Um, but, but there's a very big push for you know that legislation. The other thing to say is it's not just GDPR. The Freedom of Information Act is driving a huge amount of requirements. Right. And so if you think about the amount of data on the public body side, where individuals of the public can now request access to that information, um, and specifically, there's lots of policies that deal only with body-worn video camera footage yeah. from law enforcement and other domains. Yeah. And actually, that's a colossal amount of data that now needs to be managed and anonymized and shared. And so there's just this huge groundswell of kind of policy and regulation that's driving financial liabilities and has pushed this up to the board level. The other interesting thing, the other interesting driver, and I actually think is going to be a more important driver over time, is just the glo- is the shift in global attitudes to surveillance, mm. to personal data. And people are starting to make much more informed decisions about who they are giving their data to, which yeah. platforms they're using, how it's accessed. And then the reputation of those businesses is being very much relied upon for um, how they're managing and how transparent sure. they are with their data policies. Sure. And so whilst we're seeing lots of inbound um, interest from customers who want to manage legal compliance, 
we're seeing just as many from companies who are saying, we might not be in a jurisdiction where we actually think we legally need to do this, but reputationally, we think we have to yeah. do this because actually it's going to be... Don't want a, a bit of video escaping and uh, and embarrassing the organisation. That's, that's really interesting. Um, just just turning on to the, the other use case for the technology. Actually, before doing that, reminded that I'm also involved in an Australian company that has a document redaction product which is used for absolutely for freedom of information requests so, but that's you know taking out names and addresses and dates of birth and social security numbers and all that sort of thing so um uh i guess the same you're, you're just doing the same for video which uh, is is uh, although video is a slightly different domain in that it's really dense and descriptive and so if you've got three hours of video from someone's life, there's an amazing amount of information you can extract from that is the yeah. first thing. The second thing to say is, you know, from an hour's worth of CCTV in central London, there's probably one to one and a half million instances of faces if you count every face in every frame over the video. Right. And therefore, the, the technical requirement to do a good enough job on detection and recall of those faces yeah. in order to anonymize the personal data is quite high. Um, it's it's a very different domain to the identification of specific words in text. That's right, which is part automated, part manual, uh, in that it kind of looks for things that might be addresses or social security numbers or, or bank account numbers, and then offers up a redaction, but still somebody's going through it. But you're, what you're doing is it's 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 the you know, where's Wally thing. For it, you know, it's finding the guy in the, the striped red and uh, white T-shirt <laughs> and redacting that individual's face or not in redacting that individual's face as they travel around the scene. Yeah, so the, so the proportion, the challenge with CCTV is on the security side, you know, in order to catch the one bad guy, actually you've got to monitor and track the 100,000 good guys. Yeah. Um, and so the proportionality of that has been, you know, so legally most companies are happy that they need cameras for security. Yeah. And the law is quite happy that most com companies can use cameras for security, but it's controlled. The video is contained within the security team and they monitor it for those purposes. Sure. When the operations team knock on the, you know, on the control room door and say, hey, uh, those 20 cameras you've got in the retail store downstairs, yeah. can I have a look at them? Because we've just put in this new merchandising for a new product and I want to see how people are shopping it. Yeah. And yeah. they kind of get told to go away. And so now there's been more requirements put on that video which, by the way, isn't just sat on tapes anymore. It's now in the cloud and all over the place. Yeah. Um, companies have to start thinking a lot harder about yeah, sure, sure. whether it should be captured in the first instance and who has access to it. Sure. Um, and back to the other, the other application, which is the you know, finding objects in video. And I know from the conversations we've had that your clients, so you know, some government clients and some commercial clients, have done a lot of work in terms of you know, benchmarking it what what sort of things are you looking for, and how are you, how are you you know how are you doing that? Because I guess every system has to be different. Because in one situation you might be looking for one thing, and another something else. So, so we focus really heavily on building the best system we can at detecting and tracking people and vehicles in very noisy, very diverse content. Um, and so the single biggest challenge actually is just that every single CCTV camera, dash camera, body worn camera is looking at a slightly different scene from a slightly different angle in slightly different weather and slightly yeah. different light yeah. and slightly different levels of occlusion and movement. And actually building something that's generalizable enough so that you can provide a good enough performance across all footage, as well as allowing people to tune and improve that yes. for their specific footage is basically the big challenge we focused yes. on. 
So why I'll come back to the question I raised right at the beginning is, you know, I sorry, I, mate, but I, but I don't think I answered your question there. Actually, but actually, the reason we do that is we've got the whole business focused on saving as much manual time as we possibly yeah. can for the privacy and compliance managers who are having to manage these systems. Right. And so what everybody's focused on is how do we get the amount of time the the guy or the girl has to spend doing this to zero. Yeah. And that affects the underlying machine learning as much as it affects the UI of the product as much as it affects the onboarding materials on the website. And so how do we how do we line up the whole company to allow people to get to the product, get it used and done in yeah. the smallest amount of time possible? And that's and that's an area that you know when you start to talk about competition where we stand apart actually. Gosh, it's not just the algorithm the the computer vision algorithm, it's how it's all packaged and made available to customers as well. Yeah, if you think about the end-to-end workflow of the compliance and privacy manager, from the point they raise the incident through to finding the footage, through to anonymizing it, storing it, sharing it, auditing it. So you're saying you're no better than the other guys in terms of the core machine learning capabilities? Oh, we are much better, actually. And so... So the, I suspect you might say that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's two things there, actually. There's, in a lot of AI domains, providing directional results is valuable. What do you mean by that? I, I, can, say, I can give you a 70% confidence that something's this way rather than that way. And actually, right. that's useful in some domains. Yeah. Whereas actually, on the anonymization domain, you, you know, on a recall level, you need to be anonymizing all of the personal information. Because if you miss a few frames, you just you know, there was no point doing it at all. Yeah. And so the general level, the general threshold for making systems usable on CCTV is really high. Right. right. And so when customers come to us, they say, we've tried a few of these things and they just don't work well enough on our footage Mm -hmm. because it's okay. You know, you can, if you've got very simple body worn footage of an individual from a meter away, fine. If you've got, you know, social media-esque images, which are very nicely composed with very large faces in, fine. But as soon as you put it into real life footage, yeah. most of these systems fall down because, you know, our system isn't looking for nicely um, lit large faces. Actually, we're looking for very noisy objects in, you know, very occluded, noisy spaces. Yeah. Right. So I guess that's because you've been, yes, I see there's a diff- different focus because if, if, on the one hand, if you're looking through a whole load of video to look for, let's say, a flag, and you find it in 10 instances, and the fact it might have been in 12 doesn't matter too much. However, the, on the privacy side, it does, because as soon as you've exposed the face, the whole thing is broken, if you see what I mean. Correct. So in some use cases, people optimise for effectively precision. So make find me this thing, this is yeah. your case, find me this thing in these videos yeah. and make sure when you find it, it's, it is that thing. But I don't mind if you miss a few. Yeah. Actually, in our domain, they're like, anonymize all the personal data and don't miss any. Right. So, and by the way, in some of the use cases, you better not get any false positives either. Because what I want to do is obfuscate the personal data, but I absolutely want to see what the doctor's operating on. Yeah. Or I want to see on the assembly line what the guy's building. Um, and so, you know, optimizing for those two domains is something that we've focused a lot on. Which is tricky because machine learning generally is a statistical process rather than an absolute yeah. <laughs> process. It's, it's true. But the, the, you know, the benefit we have is the time dimension of the video. Right. And so being able to draw on machine learning, but also computer vision and other areas to be able to build a system that 
and has a bit more context about the individuals and how they're moving right. means actually we have a range of technologies that allow us to provide really high level of performance. So, so does that mean that you know if in the scene there happens to be a, a portrait of somebody as well as a whole lot of people milling around in front, so do you redact the portrait? <laughs> Uh, uh, in most cases at the moment, we will redact the face on the portrait, yes. Right. But because we've taken the view that that's probably better than Doesn't using matter. the system to try and differentiate between the two. Right. Um, but the time dimension would be that the portrait doesn't move, whereas the other the other faces do. Correct. And also, given the sectors we're in, um, we don't see that many portraits, actually. Right. So if you think about footage... Well, ads on platforms? Yes, yeah, so they do, get faces. Up, they do get picked up and anonymised. Right. And the view of those... Doesn't matter. For those customers actually, it doesn't matter because what they care about is protecting the personal data from those instances. Yeah. yeah. So they're an over enthusiastic redaction is not a problem. Correct. Um, yes. Yeah. Whereas actually, in some of the environments where the false positives do matter, it be that in hospitals or assembly lines, yeah. there's less distraction actually yeah. to worry about on that side. Yeah. And also, the cameras are a lot more focused in on the activity. Um, so you know, we we do well on very focused kind of use cases like that but actually we spend most of the time trying to build really good general detection and tracking in very wide very large yeah. you know, public and private environments and how good is the stuff from you know, amazon aws microsoft and these sort of guys they don't seem to be catering to this market directly what, what are they catering for so they have general purpose apis for face detection for example mm-hmm. um Interestingly, our system doesn't actually do face detection. It does a bunch of different things, which I'm not going to divulge. Um, but but we do look at faces. Well, but that's only that's my next six questions. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. um, but if you think of, you know if you think about the typical view of a CCTV camera into into a train station, um, most of the time you're not. It might be that you can you can recognise and identify a face in one frame, but most of the time you're actually tracking heads and blobs and things around right. different environments. Right. And so we have a range of different detectors and trackers that mean we could do a much better job of finding people moving around environments than you would if you were just looking for faces. For example, you know, most of yeah, yeah. the most CCTV, most cameras tend to be fairly high up. You get a lot of tops of heads and sides of heads and yes. backs of heads. And, and especially if someone's, you know, 20 or 30 metres, if not 100 metres away from the camera, they look very different yeah. than they do if they're very close up. And how good is it? Is it uh, um, in terms of identif- you know, uh, redacting most but not all and have some subjects that you are interested in, how does it compare to a human? So we, we've set ourselves a very high bar for accuracy and recall testing because as you well know, humans just fill in the middle bits. And so if you can recognize, if you see someone in one frame and they disappear behind a post and then come back out again, your brain's filled in the inter, the intermediate steps. Yeah, you're expecting them to appear. Yeah. And so when we, you know, when customers come to us, that actually is interesting. So customers come on, their first question is, um, can you provide some benchmark stats on how well your system works? Yes. And I always say, of course we can. Um, but actually what you should do is you should put some of your own data into it and see for yourself. Yes. Um, and so with the smaller companies, we will help them through that loop where they can upload some video and they can see the results and they can eyeball it and check. With some of the larger... Can, can I just load up a video now and and see, see the redaction working? So the single best part of the way we've set the product up is that anybody can just come online to 
www.securedact.co.uk and um, upload a video to try out how the system works on their footage. And so we're set up for a effectively a free trial. So that allows you to upload some video, go through the process of detection. Yeah. You can review it. You can redact. You can do actually you can do everything except you can't download the video without starting to pay us. Um, sure. But you can see how well the product works. Sure. Um, and so yeah. So for the smaller companies and actually the large ones, they can try it out to start with some of our larger engagements with larger enterprise businesses, they will effectively go through the loop of annotating their own control and test data sets. Because yeah. um, as, as people in this domain will know, it's very easy to show good results on a test data set. And so if you yeah. ask me, have you got results? I say, yes, of course, they're brilliant. Um, but <laughs> They should be, we've tuned the system on them. <laughs> correct. Um, and so what I tend to say to people is, we've got some and I can share them, but actually I'd much prefer you to try it out with your specific yeah. data because actually all you should care about is... Does it work in your environment? Correct. How well so, does it work in your domain? So, so, you know, you've talked about some difficult environments, you know, a long platform, uh, which I was travelling on the Elizabeth line, which is 200 metres long. Jesus. Um, I'm sure they've got multiple cameras. But but there are also, uh, you know, body-worn cameras and you can see that's, you know, fast-moving, jiggling around. There's, there's obviously, uh, you know, cameras on cars you, do, have you had you know instances where you know car companies I think I'm leading the witness here <laughs> but um, you, you know, what are car companies thinking about the footage that cars are taking there's a couple of di- probably about three dimensions there actually so the car companies themselves that are now testing AVs or just have cameras on normal cars are are basically collecting a huge amount of video data as well as other sensors um, some of them are taking the decision that in order to store that, because some of them need to store it for audit purposes when they're testing their vehicles, they need to anonymize that. Yeah. Um, there's also the added um, quirk that comes with adding cameras to cars, which is when you have an accident, guess what? The insurers want to see the video. Oh, right, yes. And therefore, how do you then manage the video in order to share it along with the other sensor data to the insurance companies? And then the third dimension is the police also probably want access to that footage right. as well. And so, yes, the, the the car company needs to think very much about what data are they capturing? What are they storing? What needs to be accessible for audit purposes? Yeah. What also needs to be accessible for tuning and product improvement? And under what circumstances does that data need anonymizing? Because, sure. you know, so the camera, there's one thing having cameras pointing inside the car and the owner of the car being explicitly aware, but... What about the children in the back or the friend that's just got in or the work colleague? And then when you think about the cameras on the outside, that's a huge amount of data, personal information being scraped on the general public. Because, for for example, Tesla, when the first um, Model S's came out, they had obviously the cameras, uh, but it's kind of a closed box. It's just for the purposes of spotting other cars. And indeed, they send it back to, to to. to the mothership to analyze to you know see how they're doing so it doesn't actually escape how how sophisticated is the thinking of the car companies around you know the sort of issues you describe are they are they kind of putting their heads in the sand or don't they really understand it or are they addressing it head on so gdpr has been around for a few years but it's still very new mm-hmm. um, and there's still very little case law so obviously the information commissioner's office in his offices in Europe and the UK have started to legislate things, yeah. but it's, there's still some interpretation in what exactly needs to be done. And so what we are finding is that businesses are basically taking a position on the risk curve somewhere yeah. and, and taking a view of how much 
or how much they have to overcompensate and sure. manage this stuff properly. And so what we tend to find is there's one or two kind of leading, more forward-thinking businesses in those sectors who have taken the view that actually they've just recognized that in order to maintain trust with employees and customers and the general public, they need to stay very open. Yep. And therefore they need to go above and beyond on how they manage this data. Others, you know, were coming to us and saying, we know we need to do this, but we're not exactly sure which bits of the yeah. video we need to anonymize and under what circumstances. And, and very often we're getting asked for, you know, legal opinions, right. which as you will know, Nick, we are not a legal business, oh, um, but we can share insights from, you know, how others in the sector are seeing it. Um, and we can also recommend other legal advisors. It, it's, actually, it's an area on, I'd probably say on the community side, where we're looking to start to bring some specialist advisors and groups in right. industry together, because actually it's a discussion that should be had by the whole sector in some cases. Yes. Yes, it's obviously it's a it's a new area for many companies. So it's kind of everyone will be looking at what everyone else is doing, uh, as well as of course the legislation. And I know that you've got resources in house that are tracking legislation around the world and that sort of thing. That was that was quite an interesting decision you made for a very, for a small company. I mean, how, how did you know what was the trigger for that? Well, I think if you think about the core drivers of our business, a lot of it has been around specific regulation and yeah. policy and interpretation of it. Yes. Um, and what, what's interesting in the regulation space is you know, it used to be that you would set a law and a regulation, then people just had to kind of comply with it. Now the regulator needs to be aware of the interdependency of on the one side, the regulation, but on the other side, the technical tools to manage and moderate this stuff. Yeah. And so they so, they're checking, they're making sure they don't ask for the impossible sort of thing. Correct. And so, you know, it's, and so, you know, if you think about moderation of online content, online harms, yeah. you think about the moderation of ethical use of AI, facial recognition, there's a bunch of legislation now being put together in the EU, UK and the US, actually, that's going to start to put pretty big requirements down on private business. And although we are a small business, the more we understand about how that landscape is evolving, yeah. the more we can make sure we're making our products available in a way that actually, you know, really helps these businesses sure. keep compliant. Sure. Well, I guess and also, yeah, the last point is you're helping your customers figure it out. So you can provide pointers at least to legislation or interpretations of, legisl of legislation. Well, we've just, oh, really good I know that you've been engaged with some law firms as well. To, yeah, to it's, it's interesting, actually. We've just done, we've just done a... We've just done a bit of research in the retail sector. And what it's, it's something that we kind of knew instinctively, but actually what's come out is the problem. So the problem is the same as, as whether you are a very, very, very small business or a very, very, like, very large business. Yes. Um, on the one hand, you could argue the large business has a bigger risk because it's got more data, but actually they're set up to manage it. They've yeah. got a legal team yeah. and they've got a data protection officer who's probably sitting on the board and they've got a compliance team and a privacy team and security team and an IT and yeah. they can manage it and they've got the tools. The challenge actually is with the smaller companies, those who, because the access to the video data is still very easy. It's very easy to buy a camera and start yes. doing something with it. It's actually very easy to buy a facial recognition system and start using it. Yeah. Um, but those smaller businesses don't have the guardrails around them from internal resource they also don't necessarily have the knowledge and capability to understand what's around on the technology side. And so on the SaaS product we've made for video privacy, we've made sure that a completely small, non-technically you know, um, compliant person can pick that product up and yeah. use it and add value. And so being able to take those tools to everybody so that they can manage data in the way they need to is something that we've certainly set our hearts on yeah. doing. That's very interesting. Uh, yeah, just... <laughs> 
a, a few years ago at Amadeus, we had a debate around face recognition technology because there was a, you know, a number of companies came to us with really interesting, cool tech to identify individuals from faces, from pictures. Uh, and we recoiled slightly, and then we sort of scratched our heads and thinking, what's what's the issue here? And, and there was a de- it was quite interesting because it spawned a debate where basically the conclusion was we were uncomfortable about investing in these sort of companies and being seen to invest in these sort of companies because there is a a for good use and there's a not for good use. And I think that that we got uncomfortable with that. So took the decision that we wouldn't invest in face recognition technology. That's why I think when we came across Pimlock, we were particularly pleased because it's kind of the other end of, of this telescope and, uh, you know, you're obviously protecting privacy. Yeah. I mean, having said that, I think there are some use cases where facial recognition is okay to use in yes. a certain constrained domain for certain reasons. I think the challenge is, is here and actually in other areas is in an absence of regulation and legislation, it's, it's very difficult because you effectively have to rely on the direction and management of the company to do things which make sense That's right. um, or even in our domain you know it, it, you also have to then look through to your customers and what they're you know where they're getting their data from and whether yeah. they're compliant and whether they're mm. going to do the right things with it as well and so indeed. it does become a very different it becomes a very different sales cycle actually indeed and we've seen of companies recently who have been very heavily fined for uh you know for their use of personal data around face recognition and that's that's kind of you know i, I I didn't hold that up and to my colleagues and say this this is why we didn't took that decision, but I, I might have done that. So a great example of why. Um, I think yes, why it, come, it comes back to the proportionality point again. Like yes. if, if you're building a system to find the 10 bad guys, is it okay to scrape 3 billion people's personal data to do that? Yeah. Um, and the legal answer seems to be no. Well, that's indeed, and that's probably a, a much bigger topic for, for another day. But just to pick up a point earlier, and um, you know, you are in the in the process of delivering the solution, you know, processing video and that sort of thing, and you've you know you've got in case some cases managing the systems that are processing that video, and you've got I, I know some government agencies as customers uh, uh, who are sort of more on the security side, and you've got some other government agencies. And the large enterprise customers who tend to be quite, who care a lot about security of the data and of the of their supply chain. How how have you you know as, as a relatively well as a relatively small company how have you reacted to that and what pressures have been put on you? Yeah, so I think it's interesting. The biggest risk startup normally usually have to manage is kind of product and sales risk. Yeah, is my. Are people going to want to use my product? Can I sell it to anybody? Yep. Um, and actually, we got over those two humps pretty quickly, actually. And then it became it became very clear that in order for us to be able to scale up the services we wanted to provide, our own credentials on the privacy and security side were going to be critical to allow us to do that. Yeah. Um, and obviously, because of the space we're in, we've always been very kind of sensitive to how we are taking in managing and storing personal data um, but actually the security side is a very big part of it yeah. and so if you know if an nhs trust or a school or a transport network is uploading some video into our SaaS system in order to anonymize it 
are we doing the best job we possibly can yeah. to keep that data secure and safe? Um, and, and are you? <laughs> and, it, and, and we are, we are, so we are putting a lot of, so for us, so to your point, for a small business, we've investing, you know, a material amount of money in making sure that the team are aware and trained, yep. that we've got an external security partner yep. who's an expert in the space who has done, now we're now currently going through our second audit, actually. Mm-hmm. And so the interesting thing about these things is it's it's as much about culture as it is about processes and technology. Yep. And so having a a frequent audit cycle is a good thing because it just keeps yeah. us on our toes and make sure things are working. Even if they don't do anything, it's the fact they turn up every six months or whatever. But everyone, bit, yeah. everyone thinks, oh, yes, security, but, yes, must, mustn't forget about that. But in between that, we're, you know, we're putting a yeah. big focus on the security principles we have as a company, yeah. on penetration testing. We spent a lot of time analysing what the real risks were. Yeah. And so you know, it was very clear that in areas where we are storing and processing data on behalf of our customers – Actually, we need to go above and beyond there to invest to make sure that those areas are as secure as they possibly can be. Um, And that's something that, as we've started to onboard larger enterprises, has been has been a very valuable thing for us, actually, because we are, you know, the first question we get asked after after the compliance manager finds the product, he tries it out. He's astounded. They go back into their organization to say, can we buy it? They buy it for a little bit. And then they say, actually, 10 of us need it actually five teams need it actually we yeah. all need it and then yeah. we have a conversation with the legal person yeah and the CISO and then suddenly actually most of the discussion is around well what are the technical controls on the software side who has access and how what, what does your last penetration test look like and what are your security principles and what's yes. your roadmap to assurance yeah. and accreditation um and actually they're all very grown-up discussions and even for some of our smaller customers um because we're storing and processing personal data for them, it's gone up to their board. And so whilst for the smaller customers, it might not be a material, you know, a, 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 whilst it's not going to break their bank financially, no. actually the reputational damage from doing it has gone all the way up to the board. And yeah. so this, so in the first few examples, we were spending, you know, a bit of time in discussions. We're now at a point where our security process is running really well. Yeah. It's well documented. And now we can kind of go through that much, much, in a much faster way, actually. And does that... Include your software supply chain in terms of because one way of breaching Pimlock would be to put some code into your system that exfiltrates stuff. And are you looking at that side of things as well? Yes, we are. So the security specialist that we have helping us out focus, yeah. you know, focused us in on three core areas: yeah. the physical environment. Um, so we do still have an office, actually, <laughs> um, but actually the risks the risks in the office are quite small because actually there's very there's not really any chairs and chairs things yet, correct. Um, there is the digital environment, um, i.e., our you know our servers, our products, our technologies, which we are spending a lot of time to make sure that they are as secure as they possibly can be. And actually, um, outsourced penetration testing is a big advantage for us there. Sure. Um, and then the third area actually is people. And so, you know, as all the, spe- the security specialists will tell you, this, what, what tends to happen is there tends to be a human in the loop somewhere who's given away a password or yeah. added some malware or done something yeah. that's specifically exposed the system. Um, and again, you know, trying to manage insider risk is, is a lot less about hiring. It's, it's not so much about hiring people who aren't risky. It's much more about managing a good culture and environment for sure. people so that actually they're happy in their workplace believe in what they're doing and are delivering. Sure. Well, I think um, 
as you know, I'm going to be doing a separate piece on on that. In fact, talking to your supplier. Ah, uh, yes, of course, Smith. So, we'll we'll dive into that um, more deeply there. But it's it's good to to hear what your thinking has been and what steps you've taken in order to protect it. I think there's sorry. I was going to say I think there's also the added benefit for us that you know a much deeper understanding on the security and privacy compliance side is actually it helps us understand customer requirements a lot better as well. Yeah. And so we have an added benefit from folks, because you said earlier, we have, you know, we have some policy people in house who are helping us understand the regulation and the policy. Yeah. And that isn't, that isn't because we're going to start lobbying because, yeah. you know, we, we are, we're not that big yet. No. Um, it's much more about just understanding what the real implications are on the private sector businesses sure. so that we can help make sure the products lined up to help them. Sure. It's interesting. Actually, I was on a board meeting early this morning with a, a company, uh, Australian companies, it happens who a fair 400-person company. And the, the deals that are slipping, there's two reasons. One is that the customers haven't got the resources to process the deal and start the project, which is kind of sort of a, perennial, a problem generally in terms of getting resources. The other problem is security audits in that the procurement process now has, always has a security audit, and that's delaying deals i mean it's going to happen it's just that the procurement said right we need to look at all your procedures and processes and blah blah, blah. and so that you know he, the ceo was bemoaning the fact that this is <laughs> the quarter end deals he was hoping to get in are slipping into the next quarter for, for that reason which is quite interesting to hear yeah i think it's going to be a critical part of doing business yeah. actually so whereas it used to be the domain of the large organization yes uh in it's going to be very hard for because actually it's it's a lot of the start you know the the newer startup businesses that are adding more value to the data streams yeah. that are coming out of these big organisations and that's very it's a very sensitive area that needs yes. good security indeed, control indeed if yeah. it's if it's if there's value to be added it must be valuable data so yeah. and, and the the other area actually is on the on the investment side um, the liabilities of where people have built their data sets from, how they've trained lots yes. of their models and how they're managing data, I think will start to have quite a big bearing on yes. valuations, M&A and other areas in the future as well, as people well, start to look into these things in a bit more detail. Indeed. And indeed, we have another investment in a company called v, V7 Labs, who are machine learning or helping you build, train your computer vision system. Uh, and that's a, that's, a, that's a focus for those guys as well. So... Uh, um, and so, so what's what's next for Pimlock? So we, what's going to be exciting is going to be happening. Yeah. So, so we, so the, so the first thing, to, interesting thing to say is when we put the when we put the SaaS product live for helping people anonymize video, we we basically had usage across a very very large number of sectors, and so just the breadth of requirement across the market is huge. Is the first thing. Um, but then you've got a VC on your board saying, Simon, you've got to focus. <laughs> so, so we, we, we have got a very so we have got a very focused sales strategy um, yeah. and inbound pipeline. Yeah. But we also have a good way of just generally mopping up users from a bunch of different right. sectors who have the same right. use case using you know the product effectively without too much support around yes. it. Um, what what becomes really interesting for us is there's there's definitely a push now for companies to start opening up 
their visual data streams to be able to add more operational value back to their business. So how do I, how do I sitting in, so if I'm sat in operations or I'm sat in finance or maybe even marketing, how do I get access to the information that's stored within those video feeds that are in my environment? So it's football, footfall in a retail outlet or, um, I don't number of delivery vans coming to the back of the warehouse, that sort of thing. Correct, or even you know, uh, uh, have a, why haven't the guys in the warehouse taken a break, or are they bending over properly? There's yeah. just there's a huge amount of insight and information now that they can start to leverage to add value back to the business, um, and and that opens up a huge amount of questions for employees, for customers, even for the unions and workers councils actually yeah. around. Well, should the business have access to that data and under what conditions? Yeah. Um, and so what's really exciting for us in the future is we're looking to own the privacy layer of those right. video systems. And so if we can own the video privacy layer on top of the video, we have a, we've just filed a patent actually to allow us to, I won't go into too much detail, but effectively use encryption to selectively anonymize things within the video stream. Right. And what that basically means is an organization can keep one version of all of their data and they can provide selective access into that depending on who's looking at it. Right. And so if security are in there, maybe it's okay for them to see everything. Yeah. If marketing are in there, maybe it's okay for them to see everything except no personal data. Yeah. If law enforcement need access, maybe it's okay for them to see Nick but nobody else. Right. And so providing a system that will allow selective access into a pool of video, be that in you know for yeah, yeah. automated APIs or for humans, is a very interesting area for us. But I like the, uh, the last comment you made of uh, owning the privacy layer for video. Uh, I think that's fantastic, and I think it seems like you're you're very well set to to do just that. And uh, look forward to uh, the the next few years of exciting customer deployment. So thank you. Well, thanks, Nick. Thanks for listening to Amadeus and Friends podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and like to hear more, don't forget to subscribe.